Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the Emperors from Augustus to Constantine Eleven, And this is episode 90, Justin. Oh, 90. Yes. That's a milestone. That is definitely a milestone. I say episode 90, we're way beyond that. I didn't yeah. bother numbering all the, the non-Emperor episodes. But uh, yeah, there we go. 90, and here we are, starting. A couple of hours late, but... Yeah, that's right. I might be a bit late today. That's right. Yeah. I started the episode without you, but... Oh, did you? Yeah, I didn't get very far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Didn't learn anything about Justin, then? No. Um, I was tempted on Wikipedia to start quoting from that, but that's cheating. Fair enough. Well, should we start properly now? Let's do it properly. Because yeah. today we are looking at an emperor almost always totally overlooked due to the fame of his nephew, which is a bit sad. Justin. So who is his nephew? Some guy. We'll learn about him in a bit. Right. Don't worry about it. But, of course, before we delve into his nephew next time, let's let's see how good Uncle Justin was, shall we? It's not a very Roman name. It's, in fact, it's one of the least Roman names we've had it's, so far. It's been Anglified. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Justin or Justinius. Justinius. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But we know him as Justin. Justin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they said his name. Last time, if you remember, Anastasius died of old age after not choosing any of his nephews to follow him. He did really well. He did do surprisingly well, didn't he? For an old guy. Well, he was very old at the end. And he died naturally, as far as we can tell, so well done him. Yeah. Genesis is our winner. Yes, he is. Yes. At the club. Oh, yes. We know, of course, from that episode, that uh, Justin takes over, but this was certainly in no way certain. So let's go back and look at his life. Time travel. It's good. It's good. I like it. The year is 450. So everything looks pretty much the same because things didn't change much back then. No, it's still black and white. Yeah. Haircuts were different. Yes. Yeah. Moustaches were in, I think. All that time. In the 50s, yeah. That's a pencil, then moustache. Yeah, we're not not at the mullet stage yet, are we? No, no. Fair enough. Anyway. This is the start of Marcion's reign, if you remember. But we're not in Constantinople. We're in a small village in Thrace. And in Thrace, there was a hamlet. And in the hamlet was a farm. Meh. You're missing the one animal we know was there. Pigs. Oink. Exactly. (laughs) On this farm lived a boy called Istok. I stock. <laughs> I stock pigs. <laughs> I stock cows. Yeah, let's say let's call him I stock, shall we? Yeah. I stock was a boy who loved who loved. <laughs> Different story. I stock <laughs> was a boy who looked after the pigs while his family tried to get the farm up and running. A few years before I stock's birth, uh, a hunnic raid had taken place and destroyed oh. the community. They did that. They did do that. Um, so uh, things were looking better. They got young eye stock to help them. It's all good again. The pigs are being well... Pigged? Pigged. I don't know. <laughs> Is there a verb for looking after pigs? Pinked. Yeah. Eye stock had at least one sister that we know of who also helped out on the farm. Life would have been quite hard 
This was not a rich, large farm, but a simple one that kept the family alive and could turn a small profit just enough to keep them alive, basically. That's handy. Yeah. That's uh, what we need, really. Of course, this is all providing the barbarians don't come through and burn everything to the ground again. All those barbarians. Yeah. Lystock had two friends, Zemarchus and Ditivistus. Sorry? Zemarchus and Ditivistus. Ditivistus? Ditivistus. Ditivistus. Zimmy and Ditty were his two friends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Zim and Dit. We, we don't know how close they were, but let's just say they were the best of childhood friends. Oh, BFS. Yes, because if we do that, we can then imagine a really good growing up montage with them. Oh, yeah. 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 Like go fishing. Exactly. Rolling yeah. over pigs. Hunting. Oh, pigs escape. They've got to go and get it back. Yeah. Lots of laughter. They come back, yeah. Yeah, they build a rope swing. Oh, then oh. weird is they pick up a tree. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, they got to take the pig back again. Yeah. Yeah. His sister, Vigilantia, Ooh. which is a nice name, uh, <laughs> she, she can be in the montages as well. Why not? <laughs> it's the one that his two friends, like, pined after. Yeah, a little bit. But she just was a bit too mature for them. Yeah. They try and impress her, but uh, she just wasn't that interested in pigs being put up trees. <laughs> Weightlifting pigs. Yeah. <laughs> one day... When Eistock was a teenager, a barbarian force swept through his home. Oh, no. Yes. This is probably Stravo. Oh. remember him. Yeah. But uh, we don't really know. It's impossible to tell. But it would not surprise me if it was Stravo. The timings kind of match up. Um, so that's not good, is it? No. Imagine that rope swing is now just on fire. Oh. Everyone's screaming. Pig escapes. No one's laughing anymore. It's fleeing for its life. <laughs> mm, crackling. <laughs> yeah. Now, we don't know what happened to the family, apart from the fact that we know Eistock and Vigilantia survive. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing the parents survive as well, but there's lots of property damage. That's what I'm going to say. Kind of burnt walls. Yeah. Burnt Pig-shaped pigs. holes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the farm was destroyed, as were most of the farms nearby. Eistock and his two friends decide there is only one thing to do. They set off to Constantinople with only a basket of bread between them, oh. off to make their fortune. Sure, you take clothes as well. No. <laughs> basket of bread. <laughs> they'd, they'd, like, walk up to the Constantinople wearing, like, a roll <laughs> instead of pants, because that's all they had left. Yeah. And and the pig they took with them for moral support, he's been, he's, he's been butchered. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's bacon sandwiches the whole journey. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they arrive in the capital... There seemed to be only one real choice. They needed to make some money. They were young Thracian boys with their silly accents. They spoke Latin from where he came from. Most people in Constantinople spoke Greek. So, yeah, you've got this cultural barrier going on. And they needed to, to make some money. So he speaks Greek, but the rest speak Latin? No, the people in Constantinople mainly speak Greek. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But uh, in Thrace, Latin was still the predominant language. Carpe diem. Yes, they'd say <laughs> to each other. Yeah. So there was only one real thing that they could do, and that is join the military. At this time, Leo was the emperor, and he had just set up a new guard, hoping to counterbalance Aspar's Germanic hold of the throne, if you oh, remember. Yeah. This was when he was getting the Isaurians to protect him, and he sets up the Excubitors. The Excubitors were 
the new elite guard force that he was building around him. Now, apparently, the three young men from Thrace were, were quite impressive. There were only 300 places in the excubitors, and all three of them made it in. Wow. So they'd take up a hundredth of the... Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. It's not bad. Now, the guard, like I say, at this time was packed with Isaurians, so perhaps it helped that they were not from Isauria, so Leo could paint the new guard as, as more inclusive. I'm not Multicultural. just... Yeah, I'm not just... <laughs> Bringing the Isaurians over. Look, look, you, you there. You're, you're from Thrace, aren't you? You can join the guard. What? <laughs> I don't want to. So, they're in. Still, the three of them would have found themselves in a cultural minority as they trained and they drilled. They were stationed in the palace itself. Oh, wow. And were different to the other soldiers in Constantinople. Most soldiers in the capital were, just for show, there were ceremonial guards. They did parades. The excubitors were a crack-fighting force. Ah, oh, they are the death squad from Rogue One. The Navy SEALs. SAS. Yes. The SAS. Yeah. They brought the SAS. That's <laughs> what the SAS are known for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were the soldiers in Constantinople that you didn't mess with. Okay. Uh, are they equivalent of the Praetorian Guard? Yes. Similar to the very original Praetorian Guard. Yeah. Because they are few in number, but yeah. Or the... The Herculean and the Jovians. Oh, yeah, but, he's jazz man. Yeah, less jazzy. Okay. Yeah, they're more into swing, I believe. Ooh. Yeah. At some point during Istock's time in the unit, possibly right at the very start, we just don't know, Istock decides to take a more traditional Roman name, perhaps feeling like he wants to fit in a bit more. Fair enough. So he picks, out of any name in the world, Justin. Most Roman name he could think of. Yes. We don't hear anything of Justin or his friends for the next 50 years. Really? Yeah, it just goes quiet there. We can deduce okay. a few things, however. Did he join the army and rise through the ranks? Oh, yes, he did. Oh. For half a century, Justin works exceptionally hard. He would have been in some way involved in many of the major events that we have covered in Leo and Zeno's reigns. He clearly upsets very few people because he's still in the unit when Anastasius takes over. Okay. Yeah. By this point, with no help whatsoever, remember he, he arrived in Constantinople with nothing yeah. but a bloomer to hide his privates. But he manages to rise to the very top and actually becomes leader of the guard, or count of the excubitors. Becomes a vampire as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. impressive. Throughout this time, we don't think he ever learnt to read or write. There is a indication that when he becomes emperor, he had to sign things using a stencil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the smiley face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why oh. use a stencil? Just, just put a NX. cross. Yeah. I mean, he, he was the only person allowed to use purple ink, so everyone knew it was him anyway. So why the stencil? I just don't know. Maybe it's not it, true. I guess the images, though, make him look more... <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Even if it's in rare purple ink, if the signature at the bottom of the document is a big <laughs> smiley face, you're just going to go, oh. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> what idiot's in charge now? <laughs> yeah. I wonder how the sense would work. Is it paint? Like now you've got to put a sense on, just like dab it with paint and then take it off quickly. And then... Possibly, or maybe... like you trace the shape. Traces it, but the letters never look right because they've got to be held in place. Mm. And you always end up with the O's that look like a C and a backward C. Yeah. Looks very militaristic as well. But that's what it looked like. Yeah, yeah. See, these questions people, historians don't ask. <laughs> or should you just pay someone to do it for you? 
Yeah, but then it's not his signature. But it's in his name. Yeah. And no one's going to know. I'm, well, you know what? I'm convinced I'm just going to say this isn't true. Okay. Yeah. That'd be easier. He did a big smiley face in purple. <laughs> That's what he did. Purple wax crown. Yeah. Now, whether he learned to read or write or not, he clearly was able to lead the guard well enough to have support from the emperor. Mm. Now, considering how many riots there were under Anastasius, Justin clearly does a good job leading the guard here, because Anastasius isn't killed. That's true, yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Mm. Apparently, he also does very well against Vitellian. If you remember him, he's the general who led the uprising against Anastasius at the end and was only defeated using the secret fire weapon. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. the, the flamey goodness. Yes. Now, you remember, he was defeated but isn't dead. He's in hiding at the mm. moment. He's going to come back into it. Oh, oh yes. interesting. Now, at some point during this 50-year gap we don't know anything about, he would have become a senator, was given senatorial class for some reason, again, indicating that he's doing a very good job. We also know that he meets his wife, Lupicana. Now, details are very scarce here, but according to one source, she was not only a barbarian, but also <laughs> a slave and a concubine for another man when Justin spotted her. He was clearly impressed, because he purchased her and made her his concubine. And they say romance is dead. <laughs> That's how I got my wife. <laughs> Should be mentioned, this does come from a hostile source, uh, so we're not 100% certain if this is true, but whatever the case, she certainly had as humble beginnings as Justin did himself. So he wasn't marrying up her. Sounds more humble than Justin. Well, if it's true, then yes, it would be. The only other thing we do know about this time is that he had not forgotten his family back at home. At some point, he invites his sister's son, because by this point, his sister has a child. And that oh. child is named Flavius Petrus Sebatius. Terrible name. Yeah. You need something more catchy, more, more, more like four syllables would work. Yeah. I so wish I'd set this up so it's the other nephew at this point oh, <laughs> but <right>. I haven't because <laughs> uh, Petrus isn't the only nephew that Justin invites but uh, Petrus as you have guessed is definitely the one who will become Justinian Justin is now in a position to give his nephew a good start in life and the young boy goes to the capital to learn under his uncle and that pretty much catches us up with the narrative where we last left it last week okay yeah so on the night of July 518 the palace was in mourning the elderly Anastasius had finally died, but unfortunately, he had never been clear on succession, and he had no sons himself. The corridors echoed with speculation. Who's it going to be? I don't know. Any guesses? No. Could be Jeff. Good God. For a while, everything was up in the air. The moving parts included, number one, the Scalarians. This is a unit of essentially ceremonial soldiers. They did the parades, they they guarded the unimportant places. They had the blunt swords. Yeah, but massive plumage. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of style of substance. Definitely. They were commanded by a man named Keller, or Seller, depending whether that's a hard or soft C. I'll let you choose. K C a hard C sound. Hard Keller. K Keller. Keller. Let's go for Keller, Keller then. Keller is in charge of the Scalarians then. Number two, Amentius. This is a powerful eunuch and advisor to Anastasius. A eunuch? Yes. Essentially leading the civil service. Number three, the Excubators. And as we know, led by Justin himself. Number four, the Senate. The Senate's are still around. They're nowhere near as powerful as they used to be, but uh, there's still some rich and powerful men in there. Yeah. 
Number five, the Patriarch, the head bishop of Constantinople. He has a very powerful voice. <laughs> just, just in general. Hello! It's, it's all that, about preaching. Yeah, that's true. Gotta really throw your voice. That's true. Yeah. You will burn in hell! Or go to heaven. <laughs> he sounds it. like Macho Man Randy Savage. He sounds a bit like Sound Guy. Yeah. 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 But there were more people involved in the aftermath. Because we've also got Anastasius's nephews, in particular Hypatius, although he's probably out of the city, but he certainly was a, a possible forerunner. Hypatius. Yeah, we have come across him before, I just didn't really mention it. Do you remember last uh, time where one of the generals of the army tried to hide from Vitellian's troops by hiding in the sea, but he was spotted because his head was poking out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's him. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> He had seaweed on his head, though. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a cunning disguise. <laughs> I'll cross him out from the list. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> then, of course, we also have the Blues and the leader of their faction, and the Greens and the leader of their faction. Okay. So, as you can see, there are a lot of moving political parts in Constantinople. Yeah. And when an empress suddenly dies, you've got all these groups circling each other. Like sharks circling a dead cow. Yeah. I'm wondering how it got in the middle of the ocean. Or how they got in the middle of a field. <laughs> yes. One of the two. <laughs> Soon after the death of Anastasius was reported, the powerful eunuch Hermatius approached Justin, who's now 68, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's no longer that young country bumpkin. So, <laughs> well established. Hermatius had a plan. He would appoint someone that he and Justin could control. Together, they could rule the empire. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Scheming. I like it. And just in case the uh, the old commander needed a little help deciding, Amatius offered Justin a huge sack of gold. That'll help. That does help. Justin accepted. Now, this gold wasn't just for Justin. This was for Justin to use to bribe others to support Amatius's chosen emperor. That makes sense. A meeting was then had with Justin and Keller, the two heads of the different guards, the real guard and the, uh, the fake guard. <laughs> yeah, so. It was decided that a public meeting in the Hippodrome would take place and the new emperor would be announced, which is great. All yeah. they needed to do was decide who the new emperor was. Everyone <laughs> then scuttled away to plot and scheme. Excellent. When everyone did meet, Keller opened by stating that a choice must be made quickly before the decision was taken from them by the people. Now, they're meeting in the palace, but a short corridor walk away is the Hippodrome, where the people have gathered to hear who the emperor is. So they decide beforehand, then come out and announce it, basically. That's Yeah, that's the situation that's right. going on. Keller and the Scalarians put forth the first choice, a patrician who they had ties with. Justin and the Excubitors veto that straight away. No! The Excubitors would not accept him, and he was in danger of his life, apparently. Really? Yes, news got through to the Hippodrome that this person's name was being put forward, and some fighting started. Oh dear. Between the Excubitors and the Scalarians. Apparently Justin's nephew was able to calm the scene at this point, uh, but things in the Hippodrome were, were getting restless. Stones were being thrown. The Blues and the Escubitors then came to blows. A lot of moving parts here. 
A lot yeah. of people not happy with each other. Several names were quickly put forward. <laughs> people in the meeting realised they need to come up with something very quickly here. Otherwise, the riot's just going to spill over. We have few details, but Amatius would have put forth his candidate's name. Obviously, that was part of the plan, and then waited for Justin and the guard to back him. Justin did not. Ooh, yes. Swerve, didn't see that coming. Sure, you didn't see that coming. <laughs> no. But equally, I'm guessing Amatius would not have sought that coming. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he probably thought not. Justin was in his pocket. Okay. At this point, Amatius would have realised that he had been betrayed. Then, when Justin's name was put forth, Amatius probably realised that Justin had spent all of the bribe money to secure his own nomination. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Nice. Now, Justin was not a universally popular choice. He'd risen through the ranks. And it'd been 50 years since he was a swineherd in a village somewhere. But uh, this this is the Roman court, and these things kind of stick. There'd have been a lot of prejudice against him. However, the crowd were getting quite restless out there. And Justin wasn't a bad choice, just not a great one. And he was quite old. He was getting on. So, uh, you might die soon. Yeah, exactly. The, the different factions could regroup while Justin ruled, and then they could all be ready to have a crack at it when the old man cracked it. Yeah. Yeah. Give it, what, a year? Yeah, a year or two. <laughs> the last time someone his age took over, he only ruled for 27 years, so <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> so, Justin was proclaimed emperor. Oh, okay. His wife changed her name to the more royal Euphemia. Apparently, Lupicina was uh, too vulgar and was associated with prostitutes. Also, if he'd not already been, Justin's nephew, Petrus, was adopted by Justin, and his name was changed to Justinian. Justinian. Or Justinian, as we know him. I've heard of him. Oh, yes. A lot of people we know really like him. Yeah, yeah. So, Justin is now the emperor, and he sets out to govern. There are a few things he needs to do. Understandably, not everyone's happy with his elevation. No. And soon there was unrest in the cathedral, started by Amatius. Amatius soon found himself dead. <laughs> yeah, Justin wasn't going to put up with that. Yeah, he, he just uh, put him to death. So there you go. That's, that's that problem sorted. <laughs> Easy enough. Yeah. The other main threat came from outside the city, Vitellian. Now, if you remember, he ran off after Anastasius's general, Marinus, defeated him using the secret fire. Yes. Justin wrote to him and offered him a position of master of the armies. Mm. leading some to think that he was the natural successor. After all, this was the position that Zeno had held under Leo. Now, this is uh, perhaps not as shocking as you might think. Vitellian fought against Anastasius because Anastasius was a monophysite. Justin was very orthodox. Fair enough. Yeah, so uh, Vitellian was uh, a lot happier with the way things were going now. So to push the orthodox view more, Justin then gets on with some jobs. There were several important figures who had been bishoped by Anastasius. Oh. Yeah. They were recalled to Constantinople, and things were looking very different in Justin's court very quickly. Hmm. Orthodoxy rose swiftly, and a persecution of the Monophysites rose with it. Not oh. just in Constantinople, but a leading Monophysite, the Patriarch of Antioch, was forced to flee to Alexandria. Oh, really? <laughs> a council was then held in the capital, and the Patriarch of Constantinople declared that the Patriarch of Antioch, Anathema. Letters were sent to the provinces, letting everyone know that the Patriarch of Antioch, uh, you just don't want to talk to him anymore. Mm. Most of the other cities ramped up their anti-Monophysite feelings to, to keep in line with the capital. 
But this was just the start. Justin and his advisors realised that if they managed to get rid of the Monophysite heresy in the Empire, then the Pope might be willing to talk to them. Oh, the Pope. Yeah. Back in old Rome. Oh, yes. Remember those days. Three letters were sent to the Pope. One from Justin, one from the Patriarch of Constantinople, and one from Justin's nephew, who had taken a keen interest in theology and was becoming more and more involved in the running of states. But before we look what happens there, let's catch up with what's been going on in Italy, shall we? I'm just imagining, like, it looks a bit like Hiroshima. <laughs> After the things, everything's just gone. Charred marks where people used to be. Just a wasteland. Yeah, basically. Yeah, well, you see, this is the image that you automatic. Well, maybe not quite that, but <laughs> an image of of post fall of the West is yeah. like, suddenly it's nothing. It's a wasteland. But it's obviously, a yeah. But uh, people there are just carrying on with their lives. Now, Italy was officially still part of the empire. Hmm. It's just that Theoderic and the Ostrogoths had taken over and were ruling it for the emperor. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, despite the epoch of 476 having passed, don't forget, that's a that's a modern interpretation of the events. Life is not too much different for most people in Italy. The church was still powerful, and Rome, Ravenna and Milan were still cultural centres that matched any other city in the world. The Pope was hugely influential, inside and outside the borders of Rome, and ever since the Heneticon, which tried to appease the differences between the Monophysites and the Orthodox, Rome and Constantinople had not been talking to each other. Yeah. It's a bit of a falling out's been going on. <laughs> now, Theoderic himself was seen as having two roles in Italy. One, he was a sort of deputy to the emperor, right. ruling the Roman people in Italy. But he was also very clearly seen as king of the Goths. So he was the king of the ruling class yeah. of Italy. But he wasn't right. the king of Italy. No. He was looking after the place. I'm sure that's how he saw it. It was an important distinction to make. Yeah, yes, for the Romans. Yes. Now, Theoderic was very aware of the dangers here. He's in a ruling minority. Yeah. Still, one thing going for him was that under Anastasius' rule was the fact that Anastasius was clearly monophysite. This angered the Orthodox Italians, especially the Pope. Mm. So Theoderic didn't have to worry too much about the Pope and the Church getting too cosy with Constantinople. Yeah. Yeah, there might be a bunch of horrible goths, but at least they're not monophysites. <laughs> However, once Justin took over, the West started looking a little bit more fondly at the East. Especially, now they thought about it, those goths were actually Aryans. Oh. <laughs> not heard from them for a while. No. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't we hate them as well? Yeah, we do, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Scum. Theoderic was suspicious when letters from Justin to the Pope arrived, and worked to ally himself with the new emperor. <laughs> and this worked. Oh, good. Yes. Theoderic's son-in-law was made consul along with Justin after some uh, political wrangling, making nice. him the first goth to become a consul. Nice. However, the son-in-law died shortly afterwards, which was a shame, but the political ties were, were made there. Meanwhile, in Rome, the Pope, Pope Hormistas... That's H-O-R-M-I-S-D-I-A-S. Oh, I got that. Oh, did you? Good, yeah. Oh, uh, nice. We're six popes along from the Pope Hilarious, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very serious. Yeah, yeah, Pope Hilarious is long gone. I checked, there were no more Pope Hilariuses either. Oh. I know. So disappointing. Well, it'd be fun finding more about the popes and that new podcast that's coming out. Yes, if only someone was planning to look at all the popes throughout yeah. history. Oh. 
If only. So the Pope was uh, deciding what to say to the new emperor. Now, these letters the Pope received essentially said the two cities should reconcile. The East and the West should become one again. Ooh. Religiously. Uh-huh. If the Pope were to go to Constantinople, the letter said, then they could talk about unifying the church within the Roman Empire once more. Hmm? The Pope was cautious and declined the invitation, but he did send a delegation led by a man named Dioscorus. The Pope's position was clear. They could reconcile as long as the following happened. <laughs> Number one, the author of the Heneticon, the then Patriarch of Alexandria, was to be excommunicated. Oh. Fair enough, thinks Justin. Dioscorus, the person delivering this message, was to become the new Patriarch of Alexandria. Mm. This one Justin just ignored, and there's a very good chance this condition was just made up by Dioscorus since he was uh, in a place where he could suggest it. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. And the last request, it's an important one. All the successors of the author of the Heneticon were to be excommunicated. Ooh. Plus, anyone who had supported him corresponded with him, generally knew him. Oh, and uh, Zeno and Anastasius as well, because they supported the document. Justin signs. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Justin wants religious unity far more than he cares about the memory of his predecessors. It's probably a good idea, to be honest. However, as you can probably imagine, this does not go down too well in some areas of the empire, especially the more eastern monophysite-leaning areas. Tensions rise. In one area in particular, there's a lot of discussion about all of this going on. In Scythia Minor, a group of monks had been talking. Oh no, they were doing a vow of silence. <laughs> I know, but it's... eventually someone just cracked and just went, what is all this about, seriously? This is ridiculous. He's there pointing a newspaper for quite a while, but I don't understand what yeah. you're saying. It's... Theology is hard enough anyway, but when yeah. you're trying to do it through the medium of charades, <laughs> it's just... Not the easiest thing. No. So they just started talking. Let's get this straight. Okay. Monophysites say that Christ has one nature, says one monk, and the rest of them go, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Right, and Nestorianism, right, says that Christ has two distinct na- natures. Yeah? Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're both heresy. Yeah. And the orthodox view, which was put together by the Council of Chalcedon 70-odd years ago, declares that Christ has two natures, but was one person with two aspects, and that's not Nestorianism, and the rest of the monks go, yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Now, if you remember, this all stems from uh, Pope Leo. Do you remember Pope Leo? Vaguely. Pope Leo had to go and talk to Attila the Hun. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he couldn't go to the Council of Chalcedon because he was too busy hiding from Attila the Hun. Fair enough. But he sent his tome to the meeting, yeah. but no one really understood what he was trying to say because he was too busy hiding from Attila the Hun. Yeah. Remember all that? Anyway, the outcome was this kind of vague sort of agreement with Nestorianism, but we're not really agreeing with them, Council of Chalcedon agreement, and that's what became the Orthodox view. Yeah. Monophysites claim that the Orthodox view was essentially Nestorianism and therefore should not be considered. That's where the split had started. At this point, most of the monks have just left. It's like, yeah. you know what, I just, I'm just i going back to being silent. I don't what? care. Yeah, screw this. <laughs> but those monks that had stayed behind, they were determined to get to the bottom of this. They were going to sort it out. They argued that all of this had been a huge misunderstanding, that Pope Leo should have been a bit clearer. 
I'm trying not to fall down the theological rabbit hole here. They came up with a new way to interpret the Tome of Leo that meant that monophysites could be brought into the Orthodox. Oh, okay. Now, a big part of this was the addition of the phrase, one of the Holy Trinity had suffered in the flesh to the services. This meant that Christ has one nature. Yeah, you got that, monophysites? but he still suffered because he's not always divine, maybe? Oh, that's digging, isn't it? This isn't actually too different from uh, the who died on the cross for us no. addition to the services that got Anastasius in so much trouble last episode. And most people said to these monks, no, that is just you trying to excuse the monophysites. Yes, yes. which it was. Yeah. And the monks turned up in Constantinople with this idea, and at the time, the Pope's envoys were there, and the Pope's envoys went, no, no, we don't like this. Yeah. So the monks go to Rome and pester the Pope for a while, and the Pope says, no, <laughs> just go away. But these, just know these monks are, are hanging okay. around. Yeah. We're not going to talk about them again this week, uh, mm. but just know that Justin's nephew had a meeting with them at one point. Ooh. So it might come back. Okay. Also know that, interestingly, the Tellian in Constantinople was one of the monk's largest supporters. Now, his orthodox views could not be disputed. He'd gone to war over it. So the monks were clearly onto something. They'd managed to get some of the orthodox on side. But yeah, this didn't go anywhere, though, because the Tellian was suddenly found with 17 stab holes in him. Oh. Yeah. It might indicate that he might be dead. Um... I mean, not necessarily. He could be, like, stabbed in the foot 17 times. Oh! Yeah. Would that be worse? <laughs> that would be nasty, mate. <laughs> yeah, for the last couple of years, Justin's nephew had played second fiddle to Vitellian. Vitellian was seen as Justin's right-hand man. But now he'd had a little accident. Oh, look who's next in line. Oh! Yeah. Who's that over there, young whippersnapper? Hmm. Now, it helps at this point Justin was approaching 70 and needed help. And Justinian was more than willing to give some help. However, there was a problem. Not only was the scandal of Battalion's death doing the rounds, but the higher up that Justinian, the nephew, got, yeah. the more people were talking about his concubine, Theodora. Ooh. Theodora was turning out to be an embarrassment to the royal household, or at least this was the opinion of Euphemia, the empress. We have one story of Theodora's background, but again, this is from a hostile source, so perhaps it's not fully true. Theodora's father had been the bearkeeper for the Greens. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And her mother was a professional dancer and actress. That's so okay. Back in those days, oh, that yeah. was synonymous with working in the sex trade. Fair enough. Yeah. Theodora's father died one day. We don't know how, but let's face it. <laughs> mean guess. <laughs> yeah. He was gold flaked. <laughs> right in the face. Innocenced. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, do you think that's who he looked after? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All bears were called Goldflake and Innocence. Oh. Ever since. Uh... Same bears. Oh, yeah. one of them escaped, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, they caught it again. Yeah, maybe. No, descendants. So, oh, okay. Pass on the bear name. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, Theodora's dad's dead, mauled to death. We're just gonna say that. Uh, her mother was left with nothing at all apart from the remnants. <laughs> oh. Plate of intestines on the table. <laughs> yeah. For reasons lost to time, the uh, Green faction were not inclined to look after her. So, in a move to make their enemies look bad, 
the blue faction took her in. Theodora then followed in her mother's footsteps and started to act. As she got older, she made the obvious for then move into prostitution. She appears to have done very well in this profession and was soon sought after by those higher up in Constantinople, Mm. getting to the point where she became the full-time concubine of a Roman official. Mm. He was appointed to be the governor of Libya, so she went with him. Fairly obvious. You don't want to go and govern a province without your concubine. But, unfortunately, they fell out on the way. Oh, no. Yeah. Or fell out the carriage or fell out personally. Possibly both. Because she was just left stranded in Africa with not a penny to her name. Oh, dear. However, she's tough and she's resourceful. And Theodora manages to make her way back to Alexandria and then got a boat back to the capital. At some point, she catches the eye of the nephew of the head of Anastasius's guard. And this is obviously Justinian. The two of them seem perfect for each other, and soon she was living with him full time. However, then Anastasius dies, and Justin becomes the emperor, and all of a sudden this relative to the head of the guard had become the de facto heir to the throne. (laughs) And people start to whisper about Theodora's past. Oh, an actress. <laughs> yeah, dirty actress. Well, it's hardly correct and proper for an actress to become the empress. So it was probably expected that Justinian would soon find someone far more suitable to marry. No one thought this more than the empress Euphemia. Now, why Euphemia resented Theodora so much is unknown, considering that their backgrounds were actually relatively similar. Jealous. Yeah, and perhaps they just personally didn't get on. Perhaps Euphemia was attempting to hide her own past by fiercely opposing someone with a similar one. But the fact remains that she was a constant voice to Justin that his nephew should not be with that woman. Slightly hypocritical. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. But that's what she did. Now, Justin had brought another nephew to Constantinople earlier on in his life, and that nephew had married into a noble family. Euphemia was much more impressed by this, and let Justin know, look at your other nephew, isn't he a good boy? And then Euphemia dies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nothing to suggest foul play whatsoever. We we just know that she was uh, opposing Justinian, and uh, then... And she went away. Okay. I've never seen anywhere to indicate that Justinian killed her, but uh, it's very convenient, isn't it? After Vitellian had an accident as well. That's true. Yeah. I just think they found her body, then, like, a mile away, they found her head. (laughs) Yeah, definitely infection. (laughs) So, this does take an obstacle out of Justinian and Theodora's way, Mm. which is nice for them. Meanwhile, the Blues and the Greens were starting to riot again. Justin was aware of this, but it was not until his nephew was ill one day, when a riot broke out, that Justin learnt just how bad things had gotten. It turned out that Justinian had been being lenient with the leaders of the Blue faction in particular, and they had become emboldened. Justin decided to correct this and executed a whole bunch of Blue leaders through hanging and burning. Uh Things calmed down for a bit. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Despite this, however, there didn't seem to be any tension between uncle and nephew. And once Justinian was better, he convinced his uncle to introduce a new law. It would now be legal for a member of the senatorial class to marry actors. Yay! That's good. Justin and Theodora married in the Cathedral of Sophia shortly afterwards. Then not much happened for a couple of years. There was some political wrangling with Persia, but nothing came out of it. The two sides were in a stalemate 
left by Anastasius and Kavad, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Justin, at this point, was struggling with his health. He's quite yeah. old. And more and more, his nephew's taking over the duties. Then in 527, on the 1st of April, Justinian was declared co-emperor. Ooh. Which is on the 1st of April, so I'd like to think it was actually all a joke. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I make you co-emperor. He throws a massive party. Yeah. Then right at the end. That's any joke, man. Salamani was before 12 o'clock. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of days after this, maybe Justinian making sure it's all real, uh, there was a ceremony where Justinian and Theodora were crowned emperor and empress. Ooh. It was only four months later that Justin died due to complications from an old wound in his foot. There we go. He's dead. The Empire is now being run by a farm boy from Thrace and an actress. Oh, that's going to be terrible. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> will come of that. There you go. That's it. That's Justin. Um, Underwhelming is the word I'm going to use. Highly. <laughs> highly <laughs> underwhelming. Oh, he, there's nothing bad there, but it's like, what, what exactly did, did you do there, Justin? I'm not even starting a new page to... Yeah, that was... I mean, he, he's obviously had skill... Get yeah. in that position to start with. Well, let's look into it, shall we? Yeah. First round. Fightius Maximus. Okay, weird one, this, because we don't know anything for definite, but he obviously did a lot. Hmm. He was in the guard for 50 years, so in that time he would have done a lot of fighting, or at least guarding. We know that he was seen as doing a good job against Battalion, so he was in that war. We just don't know exactly what he did. Yeah, uh, eventually he died due to complications from an old war injury, so we know, know that he got injured in battle at some point. He could have... That but... could have been a splinter. <laughs> then, I mean, he could have anything. Yeah, we, we just don't have anything concrete, despite the fact that we know he was a military man all his life, and he was wounded in battle. And he clearly rose his way to the top. He became the top of that badass guard. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I'm not going to give him nothing... Even though we don't have anything, I but think we can story, speculate. We can only speculate. The story's not... Meh. Yeah, I can't give him much, though. Three. I'm giving him three. Yeah, I'm going to give him a point for fighting against Vitellian, a point for dying from a war wound, and a point for rising to the top of an elite guard. Yeah, I'll go for three as well. Six. Not great. Next. Aprovium Not great either. Oh, uh, okay. He made some sensible choices. He tried to unify the Empire. That's not going to win you many points in this round. Um, he did endorse the persecution against the uh, Monophysites. That's true. <laughs> in this round, that's a positive. <laughs> uh, but um, this isn't a bloody persecution. This was just a excommunication, exiling, isn't it? an excommunication. Yeah, it's uh, there's nothing really. Zero. Zero. Success ultimus. Okay, got something here. This isn't in my notes, so this is off the top of my head, so I'm probably forgetting someone. But this is the first time since our winner of season one, Aurelian, where we have had a true from peasant to emperor story. That's true. He started as a swineherd, and he ended as the emperor of Rome. That's true. That's, that is impressive. That is very impressive. Yeah. Um, and he couldn't even, and he's illiterate as well. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, and that was... He, he had no one to give him a leg up. And even more, you could say, impressively than uh, Aurelian, is that this wasn't a war-torn time. No. Aurelian was given opportunities because everyone was fighting each other. He just grinds his way to the top. 
I'm impressed with that. That is impressive. Yeah. And it was even more impressive. He he always had to wear like uh, angel wings as emperor. Yeah. Because he, he couldn't read the contract. He was signing his emperor contract. No. And someone slipped not. in the clause where he had to wear. It was clause 42B. Right, okay. Paragraph 7. It said that he had to wear angel wings all at all times. Were they the ones that Juliet wears and Romeo and Juliet? Films? Yes. Yeah. But these ones lit up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's impressive, apart from the wings part. What did you think, Empire? Well, um, he unified the East and the West Church. Yeah, okay. Or at least he made the beginnings of that happening. So that's quite impressive. The Empire certainly didn't get any worse under him. Um, that's all quite impressive. Bye. Oh, wait, no, no. I've oh, got, I do more. have some bad. Bad. Oh, okay. The church unification was not solid. <laughs> it left a lot of pe- people unimpressed. And there was a lot of rumour that Justin doesn't actually do any ruling under his reign whatsoever, and everything is Justinian. But I'll be honest, I think this just comes from the fact that Justinian's reign just overshadows Justin so much that people are inclined to give him credit for everything. That's true. Uh, I think Justin got himself as emperor. He managed to politically beat his enemies. Yeah, and he wasn't born into it like Justinian was. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. He earned his way into this rather than, oh, look at me, I'll get all the best education. (laughs) Look at me in my tiled face. I'm, I'm sensing some animosity against Justinian. Here. Everyone just strokes his ego. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can decide about Justinian next time. We're doing just. I will. Oh, I will. I'll be a harsh <laughs> critic. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So successes Ultimus for Justin. I think five because he kept the empire stable, kept it going. Yeah. I might give him an extra because he got up to the position he did, which is not. It wouldn't have been easy for him. There so were six. were a lot of farm boys from Thrace, and only one of them became emperor. That's true. Six, I'll give him. Um, I think that's fair. I'm going to give him five. It's 11. It's 11 for successors, Optimus. Image of What's he look like? An old man. Wrinkly face. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, we've only got a couple of really rubbish coins for him, so uh, oh. it's hard to tell. That's a nice picture of an old man you're doing there. Does have big ears. Okay, well, here we go. That's what his coin looks like. Oh, look at his melty eyes. Do you think that's their attempt to do wrinkles? Or they drop the coin repeatedly on something hard. Wow. Very stylish. Look at the nose. Look at an arrow. Yeah. No neck. It's a floating head, Rob. We've had that a few times recently. Have we? Yeah. I've noticed. Yes, you have, because you said exactly the same thing. Okay. Twice. Oh, Oh, floating head again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um... There is nothing about that that stands <gasps> it out from anything else. Oh, look at the hair at the top, though. Oh, no, it's that spiky sticky hair. Sticky up at the air. And sticky up at the back. Maybe he's just woken up. Okay, reverse side. Oh, highly detailed. Ant-Man's back. Ant-Man's back. He's now holding a massive cross and a smaller cross. <laughs> and at the bottom it says, Konob. <laughs> yes, it does. And uh, he's got wings. He had wings last time. Yeah. But his scepter looks like it's on fire this time. The, the cross in his right hand looks like it's flaming. Was that his fingers? What? That could be, he could be holding it from the bottom. Oh, no, you're pointing at the wrong place. I was pointing there. Right, his, his right hand. His left. Yeah, but his right hand, that's his right hand. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, we were talking about the wrong one. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> this is great stuff for people listening and not <laughs> seeing this image. Them to join our Senate. Oh, is that a seahorse on his shoulder? <gasps> it is! Or maybe it's just meant to be the top of his wing. No, but it's it a looks seahorse. like a seahorse. It's got a seahorse. Okay, so he's got a pet seahorse and he's Ant-Man. Um, 
Hey, there's nothing there that's special. No. I'm, I'm going to give him two. I quite like his melty eyes and his sticky up your hair. Okay, what are you going to give him? I'm even four. I really like that. Okay, so final round. Temple completed. How long's he last? Well, because in my head it's like a year because he's old, but yeah. then he said a couple of years, so I'm guessing like five years. Not too far. Five eighteen to five two seven nine years. Oh, yeah. So uh, longer than perhaps people in that initial meeting thought it would be. Uh, but they were annoyed. But not as long as some we've had recently. No, that's true. So uh, there you go. So that is a score of one point one three for Tempo Completo and a final score of nineteen point three eight. No, that's that's disappointing. That is the worst so far. Yes. In this season. In the East. Yeah, it's not brilliant. It's not awful. No. It's not great. So I suppose we now just need to ask. Do they have a certain je ne sais No. There's just no way he does. No. I'd love to discover that actually Justinian's uncle was really good, but overshadowed by his nephew. But mm. he wasn't, so... <laughs> well, we don't know. There's so much we don't know. He could have been like the most amazing fighter in the universe. We just wouldn't know. Oh, yeah, I get the impression that he, he was very, very capable in his mm. life. But as emperor, he was old by that point. He did a capable job, but nothing amazing. Uh, yeah, so he's, he wasn't awful. He's the worst so far, but that doesn't mean he was bad. I don't think he was bad at all. No. Um, yeah. We've had a hell of a lot worse than that. That's him. true. Oh, good to this. But I just don't think he's got it, has he? No, he definitely hasn't. No. So, sorry, Justin. It's a shame, because I think that's going to ruin the family. Yeah. <laughs> which just makes me sad, but... Next time is his nephew, Justinian, which I'm sure many people are looking forward to. Uh, but I hate to say it. Next time will not actually be Justinian. What? Shock horror. No, we are going to release one of our Roman Republic episodes. Oh, we're just teasing some of the people, aren't we? Been a while since we did Cleopatra, so I'm thinking it's about time we did Mark Antony for our senators. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how Mark Antony gets on. Well, we know how he gets on. We saw the end. But we get to see it from his perspective. That'd be interesting. Yeah, so next time will be the Senate-only episode on Mark Antony. If you want to join our Senate, go to our Podbean site, um, and you can join for as little as $1 a month, although you can give us more if you'd like. If you think we provide you with more than $1 a month worth of entertainment, that would be very generous of you. Yeah. Um, and you won't only have access to the Mark Antony episode, you'll also have access to Julius Caesar, Marius Sulla... The Gracchi brothers, Drusus, and Cleopatra as well. And they're all really good. They're all really interesting. Yes. I was dreading them, but they're actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we have secret rounds in those that we don't really use in these ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll never be able to guess what they are. No. Unless you've pre-listened it, or we've told you. I think we've mentioned it before. Yeah. But Shh. they might have changed, and you That's won't all, know. Yeah, you'll unless, never know, yeah. Unless you're a Senate member. In fact, we're definitely going to change in the next episode. Yeah. In some way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so do that if you would like to. In the meantime... You can download us from Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't bother with Instagram. <laughs> There's no point. <laughs> Everything you do on Instagram, you can do on Facebook or Twitter. So what is lit? What, lit what is the point? I've, 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 what is the point? literally never been on Instagram it, you in just my life. upload a photograph with a comment. You can do that on Facebook and Twitter. So what's the point of it? I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. It's just a fad. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Right, well, do that. 
And until next time, all that remains to be said is... He was old. Goodbye. Bye. Next. I'm here. I'm ready to sign up, do my bit for the country. Fill out form one, two, three. Make sure you've mentioned which unit you'd like to be involved in. What? 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 Why aren't you wearing any clothes, boy? I've got clothes. I have a baguette. That is not suitable clothing, boy. I've got it tied on. Look, it won't fall off. It's clearly far too small. You need at least a bloomer. No, thank you. Oh, well, what unit did you want to enroll in, anyway? I wanted to be in the Excubitors. The Excubitors? They are the elite fighting force. Do you really think you're appropriate? Well, yes, I wanted to be in the Upper Crust. Was that a bread pun? What? What? No, I, I want to be the best, the very best. Don't want to be caught loafing around. That was a bread pun! Right, that's it. There's no punnage in this unit. Get out, right now. Uh, but wait a moment, I... No, uh, no, won't make a blind pitter difference. Get out! Ah, you said pitter. Couple of hours late, but... Yeah, that's all right. I, I started the episode without you, but... Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get very far. <laughs> Rankium, I'm Jamie. And, and, and I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine 11. And this is episode 80 something. Um, yeah. And this week we're looking at a Roman, Eastern Roman. What do you remember from last week, Jamie? Not much. Um, Anastasius yes that's right and he was an emperor and he died that's also correct well this week I'm going to teach you a lot just pay attention my voice may change soon that's okay I know you've got a cold